Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. Achieving my long-term goals is more about creating healthy habits and less about quick fixes. And that's why I love both intermittent fasting and daily harvest. Tim Spector, a gut health expert and founder of Zoe, and Dr. B, gastroenterologist and author of Fiber Fueled, recommend that you aim for at least 30 unique plant foods per week. Daily Harvest helps make it easy. One of my favorite options is the sweet potato and wild rice hash harvest bowl. With Daily Harvest, I'm getting tons of plant-based options built on organic fruits and vegetables that are easy to prep and free of weird ingredients such as fillers, seed oils, and added sugars. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com ifstories to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com ifstories for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Daily harvest.com slash is stories. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, as well as the book that started it all, Delay Don't Deny. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than denying myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, Who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 189 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I am so excited to be here with a repeat guest that you may remember from episode 70, and it is Cynthia Thurlow. Cynthia lives in Richmond, Virginia. She is a nurse practitioner. She's an intermittent fasting expert, and she is really a leader in the whole intermittent fasting for women movement that I'm also really happy to be a part of. She has a book coming out just literally in days from when the podcast is dropping, and it's called Intermittent Fasting Transformation. 
and it is written for women, which is super exciting. So Cynthia, welcome. Welcome back. Thank you. I'm so thrilled and been really looking forward to connecting with you again. Like, I can't even believe it's been that long. It feels like we just recorded, but episode 70 is a long way from episode 189. I so know, I, I was know. really shocked how long well, it's been. I mean, think about what's happened in our, in our lives since then. We've had a, a global pandemic, which I think has given everyone a case of amnesia. It's like, where have the last 20 That's plus true. months gone? <laughs> Absolutely. That's right. I guess we recorded pre-pandemic, right? Yeah. Yeah, wow. we did. Back in, I think, 2019. Yeah, that Yikes. was so long ago. Time ticks on. So we've told your story before, but we're going to still tell. Um, I want to I give the background information here. So I'm going to start with what I always ask. Mm-hmm. What brought you to intermittent fasting and when was that? Yeah, so it's six years ago. I, wow. I think initially it just started out of curiosity. And in the case of one week, I had three different women bring up intermittent fasting. And so in my typical usual self, I think I went to Amazon and Googled intermittent fasting to see what came up. And it was Jason Fung and Jimmy Moore's book. And so I bought that and got it and thought, okay, there's real science behind this and started doing it. And I felt so good skipping breakfast. I'd never been a big breakfast person anyway, but all the mental clarity, all the energy, all the digestive rest. I, it was just complete and utter. It was like a love fest all at once. It was like, right. this works. I feel good. It reinforces the behavior. And that's really, it started very organically. And then because of what I was doing, I started talking about, it. I started weaving it into work with patients and clients and building programs around it. And so, uh, you know, I, I look at it as the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> I love that. That's true. That's very much for me as well. So that was 2016, I believe. That's when that The Complete Guide to Fasting came out. Because, you know, that was when I was still so hungry for knowledge. It was before I had written my first book. And I was just still, you know, learning everything I could and absorbing it all. And, um, you know, I, I had groups and people kept asking me, what should I read? So I was looking for, like, the book to send them to. Never well, found one. That's why I wrote one. <laughs> yeah, no. And, it, and it's interesting because I think for many of us, that was probably the first book we read on fasting. And, mm-hmm. and for me, it was the validation of saying this is a medical colleague right. that's talking about the science. So therefore, it is a real thing. It's not something contrived uh, or, you know, something that someone made up. And, and, and that's the thing about fasting that I find so fascinating is that it's not new or novel, but yet... Yeah people want to believe that it is. I'm like, it's part of like all the major religions. It dates back, dates back to biblical times. And I think about even in, within my own religion, I mean, fasting is part of very specific holidays in the calendar. Of course, I probably as a child or young adult didn't take that all that seriously, but just recognizing that there's a spiritual awareness that goes along with fasting beyond the you know physiologic mm-hmm. importance that it plays. Yeah, it's, it's a fad, right? It's yeah. just a fad. It's only been around for all of human history. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like, like sleep, sleep's from? a fad too, right? Yeah. You know, we're going to get off that sleep fad suit. Yeah, we're but, just going to yeah. biohack ourselves out of it. We don't need sleep. No, well, sleep is like one of the most important things. And I love how you actually wove that through your book. Because I have an early copy, so I got to read it. So. I know, I know. <laughs> you know, and it was funny when I sent that book to you, I was like, I hope she loves it. Oh, that's how I feel every time. <laughs> it's like, it feels like it's your baby, yes, right? Yes, yes. And, and it's very, people who are not writers, I don't know, I think probably every creative person feels that way about what you put into the world. But for mm-hmm. writers, it's very raw to put something out there. And then, you know, people are not going to like it. 
Right. Some people are not going to like it. Even if 99% of the people like it, that 1% that doesn't like it, that still hurts. Well, and it, it can kind of get into your head. Yeah. You know, you, you can start to, to have that degree of self-doubt. And I don't care how confident, self-assured you are. We all want, you know, this, this gift, this labor of love yeah. to impact lives in positive ways. And there will always, I tell my children this, there will always be people that aren't going to agree with your opinion. Yeah. And that's okay. You know, I don't want to live in a vacuum, but I also recognize that unless you've written a book or created something like this, and for me, there's a lot of very like personal information in this book. And I remember saying to my husband, like, yikes, like, you know, there's a lot of things that make me a little uncomfortable. And and so I, I felt like we struck the right chord, you know, sharing those things, but definitely a little more vulnerable than people probably see on social media for sure. Can I give you one piece of huge advice that sure. it will save your life and sanity? Yes. Do not read the one star reviews. No, I, I, I've learned. Don't read them. I don't, or I don't, the two star reviews or the yeah. three star reviews. <laughs> In fact, I only read the five star. Reviews. <laughs> well, it's just like when, when my, my talk went viral and my boys for a long time would every day would go and they would be like looking at the numbers and reading comments and so I finally forbid them from doing that because yeah. they, they would they would take things very personally. And I told my team, I don't read the comments ever uh, because the few that I did read were things that like I had no control over because people right. didn't understand the backstory heading into that talk about how sick I had been. And yet it's one of those things I was like, for my mental health, I have just decided that it's best for me not like I will let other people read those reviews right. and worry about it. And I'm just not going to. Yeah. It's not well, my productive. husband likes to read them. Uh, does I he get mad? Why. Is he super protective? He like that's how mad, my husband is. But then is. he'll read them to me. He's like, <laughs> well, I need to tell you about this. I'm like, please don't. Like yeah, there's one, that to one person who wrote a one star review of my book. Like it was his no. job to like discredit everything I said. Oh. Bless his heart. You know, whatever. I don't know. But literally everything that I said, he's like, well, no, here's the opposite of what she said. And it's true. Anyway. No, I'm there's like, okay, always. Thank you. But, but that like really rubs my husband the wrong way. And he I like bet. keeps going back to it. And he's like, look what he said. Look. So and I'm like, stop. Yeah. Stop reading it. He's anyway. so protective of you. Well, someone gave me like a one star review on the podcast. Not about me but about one of my guests oh, and that of course, you know, throws off all the rank, like the number, yeah. all that stuff. And so I finally was like, I told my team, I was like, don't even pay attention to it. It's not right. even about me. I'm not even sure which male guests they didn't like. They didn't yeah. even say, but you know, you just have to think it's a keyboard warrior. It's someone right. who probably lives in their parents' basement and is yeah. a miserable human being. And this is well, how they continue to spread if their you misery. Go out of your way, like someone went out of their way to send me an email one time that they didn't like my voice reading my audiobook. That I should not no, have read it because they didn't no. like my voice. I mean, they had to like find me by my email Yikes. to tell me that. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry. That's the way I talk. Yeah, this, this would be. <laughs> so, this is me. This is who, who this I is. Am, you know? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, sometimes people will email you and you can't help but read them. But, you know, we're putting our best out there. So let's go back to that TED Talk, because I think that's a very important part of your story. You know, that's how I first, you know, learned of who you were, because all of a sudden people in our intermittent fasting community were like, here's a TED Talk. It's really good. <laughs> and of course, the moderators are like, we don't know anything about this TED Talk. So let's watch it and see if it's, you know, because we had we didn't like allow right, right. people to post things like you should do a 42 day dry fast right I mean mm-hmm. we're not allowing you know that right. kind of thing to be posted because we yeah. care about the safety of our members yeah. so we were watching it and we're like oh she's good this is oh. good so <laughs> <laughs> thank you tell, tell us about that TED talk how, how it happened and 
going viral, I mean, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. So in 2018, uh, I decided I wanted to do a TED Talk because as an introvert, I was like, you know, it's important to set goals for yourself. And I was like, what would be really hard? Because I'm not a memorizer. I, I was never in the theater, but a TED Talk seemed like a good idea. And initially, uh, I, I hired a company to help me write the applications because it can be kind of a laborious process. And so I did that. And then I hired someone to, to be a coach and he helped me kind of fine tune. And my first TED Talk was talking about perimenopause, you know, talking about an embarrassing, like, you know, kind of shameful thing I had been through, which just seems kind of silly now. And at the time I accepted my first, I was offered, a, I, around that time I was, I was offered a second. And when you do a TED Talk, they don't allow you to do a talk about the same topic. It has to be a new topic, a new idea worth sharing. And I remember, honest to God, it was December of 2018. I looked at my husband and I was like, I have to come up with another topic. What should I talk about? And he was like, intermittent fasting. And I was like, okay, then I'm going to talk about intermittent <laughs> fasting. So it was that thought out. And it turned out for me, I went through five rounds to do this TED Talk in Greenville, South Carolina. I was born in South Carolina and um, I went through multiple interviews. And in one of them, I said, I was very, very close to my paternal grandmother. I get chills when I think about this. I was like, I, I was born in South Carolina. I still have family in South Carolina. I feel, I feel drawn to South Carolina. I would like to be at your TED Talk because this is my home. Like oh. this is, I feel grounded and connected. Where were you born? What, where in South Columbia? Carolina? Columbia. So my dad was okay. finishing his doctorate at USC. That's about an hour from me. I have a, um, I have a master's degree from USC. Oh, yay. And my husband has a PhD from USC. Oh, see, so more we're, connection. See, we're <laughs> my whole family, the even though I was born in Georgia, right across mm -hmm. the river, we went home to from the hospital yeah. to South Carolina, North yeah. Augusta is just across the river. So South Carolina is where my roots are too. Yeah, yeah, and it's a very special place. Spent all it my is. summers there, mm -hmm. and you know, Southern lineage, and you know, Southerners. I know we were talking about this before we started recording. Gracious, warm Southern hospitality is a real thing, and so. I think three or four days before Christmas, I was told you were, you were one of the 11 that was selected. Wow. And so that was exciting. And they said, we really would like you to do a female-focused talk. We get requests all the time. Could you talk about women and intermittent fasting? I said, sure. So then we fast forward to January, and then we're in February. And for the first time in probably, at the time, 15-plus years, I was able to go on a business trip with my husband to Hawaii. So he worked, and I got to write start writing my TED Talk. And... We got home and uh, within 48 hours of being home, I got dreadfully sick. I thought I had food poisoning and it turned out I didn't. And so the next day I said to my husband, I, I really have to go to the hospital. I, mean, I was in bed all day. I was like, something's really wrong. I had just horrific abdominal pain, worse than labor for anyone who's listening wow. to give you context. That's bad. Yeah. And so <laughs> I showed up and I couldn't get comfortable. And there's something called the impending sense of doom. And it's something for anyone who's a healthcare professional understands. And I remember I looked at my husband and I said, if they can't figure out what's wrong with me, I'm going to die. Like I was that certain because I was so uncomfortable. And uh, it turned out I had a ruptured appendix and I had uh, full, my entire length of my colon was inflamed. They were very concerned about taking me to emergency surgery because they thought they would have to remove my entire colon and to which I told them I need my colon. Right. And that began a 13 day hospitalization where I lost 15 pounds. I had multiple other complications. I developed abscesses in my peritoneum. I had to have drains put in. I Ooh. developed a fistula. And so I went home and I missed every deadline I had for this TED talk in March <laughs> because I was in the hospital. And of course, because I was in the hospital, I didn't think to have anyone reach out to them to say, I'm literally on my deathbed and that is why you haven't heard from me. So 
while I was in the hospital, there were two things I thought about. Like every mom, you think about your kids right. and you want to get home to your family. And I was like, gosh, darn it. If I get out of this hospital, I'm going to do that talk. It was like part of like what kept me moving forward. And so I got home and I, you know, my husband had reached out to them and explained everything. And they were like, listen, we don't want her to compromise her recovery. She still has a ruptured appendix. Uh, you know, we, we, and I said, my husband said, she really would like to connect with you to, to state that she really wants to do this. And so I get on zoom cause they wanted to physically see me and they said, are you sure? And I said, yes, I, I really, I need, it was, it's been part of my mental recovery. I really need to do this talk. We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium and specifically magnesium breakthrough by by optimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency. And, in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories promo code IFSTORIES10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash IFSTORIES, promo code IFSTORIES10. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. So I spent the first two weeks home sleeping right, <laughs> and taking antibiotics. And then um, I spent a week writing my talk and then memorizing my talk. And so off I went with a ruptured appendix and my 11-year-old to do my talk. Wow. And the funny thing is I brought my 11-year-old with me and he thought all the attention that all the speakers got was like the coolest thing ever. And we had a wonderful time and everything, you know, we went to the zoo, we did all these fun things. And I did, I, you know, they let me go third and I did my talk and my talk was 12 minutes long and they had this big, uh, they had this big countdown that you can see. And I, I was talking and talking, talking. And I was like, oh, I'm got my timing's perfect. I'm going to be fine. And I realized I had a minute to go through like five minutes of right. content. So I had to speed forward in my talk and I walked off the stage and I looked at my coach and I said, that is the worst talk I've ever given. <laughs> See how we like beat ourselves up. <laughs> yes. You already had given yourself one star yes. before you got. <laughs> because in my mind, I was like, there were all these things I didn't get to talk about. And she looked at me and she said, Cynthia, the only people that know that you cut stuff out of your talk are you and I. You were right. fine. 
And yeah. so I went about the, my day and I thought nothing more of it. I went back to, you know, Virginia and went about my day. And, um, I, I think that the most important thing is that my, my impetus for doing that talk was to show my kids that I was okay. That's yeah. really, it was, it was that like benign. And I, and I honestly went home and was like, it'll be like my last talk. It'll come out. It'll be respectable. It'll be fine. And, uh, I think the talk came out on like March 5th, sorry, May 15th. And a colleague of mine called me and said, I think this is going to be different. And I was like, what do you mean? I said, well, your talk's out and it already has, I don't know, 50,000 views on the first day. And I was like, what? That's a lot of views. And so it was, it was 89,000 on the first day. And then it just kept escalating. And then all of a sudden, you know, my team and I were not prepared for this to happen. So I told my kids, well, I'm going to take the summer off. <laughs> like all these things I naively thought were going to come to pass. And so then, you know, the rest is history. That was, that was May of 2019. And I mean, everything changed after that. I mean, just wow. everything. And I think, oh, and the one thing to share is my appendix came out nine days after I gave that talk. Wow. So you were really were giving that talk and you were not well. No, no. And so people make comments, you know, she looks emaciated. I'm like, well. She doesn't look, she's not looking good at all. No. <laughs> I was like, how'd you know? That's so mean. Yes. No, they make comments that, you know, she walks back and forth too much. And I was like, I was so nervous that the only way that you walked too much. They didn't like that I walked too much. People. I know. God forbid you walk. It was like, it was either that or I was just going to be a shaky leaf. So I just walked and walked. Oh, I would be walking too. I'm a, I was a walking teacher. I walked around the classroom all the time. I taught adults, but I would teach from all around the room and I'm here and I'm here and that's just what you do. Yeah, exactly. I got to stay moving. Exactly. Bless them. They just have to find something. And I don't like your shirt and your shoes. I mean, you know, anyway, sorry. Yep. Nope. No, she's anorexic. That's what it was like that. When they when I started seeing that, I was like, well, you don't even understand the context behind yeah. what happened. So. I mean, you had just, what, what, you lost 15 pounds in the hospital or something? Yeah. You said? Yeah. That's, yeah. <sighs> well, good. I'm glad you already know the lesson about not looking at the... the <laughs> <laughs> I learned that very quickly. I even told my team, don't bother. It's not productive. So how many? How many people have seen that TED Talk now? Uh, 9.6 million. Oh, my Lord. That yeah. is just amazing. Yeah. It's unreal. I mean, that is huge. Mm-hmm. And really, though, you know, when we, we think about how many people we've reached and, you know, like how many people have listened to this podcast, it's still a tiny piece of the number of people that are out there. So think about how many more we can still I know. reach, right? I know. So even, you know, however many books we've sold and podcasts people have listened to, there's so many more people out there that we can touch. And yeah. that just keeps me going. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, I, and I think, done. you know, you're an educator. I'm a clinician and an educator. And I, and I think on so many levels, we need to keep our voices out there because people need good information. Yeah. You know, they need positive, thoughtfully, researched information. I, I think that's that's a, a huge distinguisher with a lot of other nonsense that's out there. How's that for being PC? There you <laughs> go. Well, let's talk about women. Yeah. Uh, you know, speaking of that, um, you know, I was just at a conference and you, you knew this because um, we talked about it where you won an award, by the way, at the conference. You were not there, but you were on the big screen. So congratulations. Which Thank award you. did you win? It was the Health Influencer of the Year. Health Influencer of the Year. And this is a great, great community. Um, and so I was so excited because I saw all the people that were up for it. And I'm like, come on. So come on. <laughs> I was so excited when you when you won. But um 
you know, even in this this community that was honoring you as Health Influencer of the Year, you know, as I met people over the the course of the you know the five days that I was there, you know, we would introduce ourselves to one another, and I would say intermittent fasting, and like I swear, every person I spoke to said, "Yeah, but what about women?" Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, but so I'm like, oh, come on. You know, we've got those myths out there still, even in, you know, a forward thinking health community that's honoring you as influencer of the year. We still have people that don't understand that intermittent fasting is something that's good for women. So let's talk about that. Yeah. And I think on so many levels, part of what fuels me to want to have these conversations is that there's so much fear mongering. Mm hmm. A lot of times for men, right? (laughs) A lot of times for men. And I just think much to the point of what makes women so unique about our hormonal physiology and the fact that up until menopause, we're cycling most months out of the year. It's just the fact that our bodies respond to stress a little bit more differently than men's bodies do. And it actually makes me angry when people do blanket statements or they, they work off of garbage research mm-hmm. and just say, well, this didn't work on a lab animal. Yeah. So it can't possibly work on a human. And I would say, you know, yes, the lab animal and I are both mammals technically, but unless you're doing this research on a chimp, that's <laughs> a lot closer to me in terms of my genetic profile. I just think that we can't extrapolate too much data. And the other thing that I find equally frustrating is the downplay of clinical experience. And, you know, that's really what I speak from that I've learned the subtleties, the nuances about women's hormones and makeup that really do determine what do we have to look out for? What do we have to be attuned to? What do we have to be tuned into to determine whether or not this is an effective strategy? And I think a 25 year old female athlete is very different than a 50-year-old menopausal woman. Oh, 100%. And what our bodies are going to perceive as stress will vary at different points in our lives. And how much fasting is appropriate depends on so many things, including how active you are. I love that you mentioned athletes because they're going to have different nutritional needs than, you know, I'm 52 and I'm Mm postmenopausal. So my body is very different. But I love what you said about the fear-mongering and so much of it coming from, you know, well-meaning men, I guess, the same men that said women shouldn't run, women shouldn't vote, all those things that were just too hard for our delicate female bodies. Yes. Right? And and what I find interesting <laughs> is that some of these well-meaning male influencers, I think it comes from a, a good intention space. Right. And and I want to start from there. But I, yeah. I do think that there are also other individuals in this health and wellness space that do it from a place to, it's like, wah, wah, wah. like they want to create fear and they want to create divisiveness and they want to potentially what they want to do is to attract more attention. So they're going to put something out there that is completely not aligned with the things that you and I talk about. And, you know, you are a great example of someone that has been able to successfully fast and get incredibly healthy and vibrant. And I'm looking at Jen right now and you would not know she's 52 years old (laughs) uh, if she had not just shared that information. So I think it's really important for us to just call out the the a little bit of the patriarchy uh, in regards to, you know, what's best for women and really be honest. If, if 88% of our population is metabolically unhealthy, yep. we've got a wake up call, like something oh, needs yeah. to change. 88%. 
I haven't heard that number, but I absolutely believe it. You know, when I was 210 pounds, I was obese. I was metabolically unhealthy. Yeah. You know, I was like dragging through the day every day. I felt bad. Then I would go on a diet, like doctor prescribed diet pills or doctor prescribed HCG, 500 calories a day, give myself a shot, which sounds nuts. But nobody was like, I think that's probably not appropriate for women. I mean, it right. wasn't. It's right. was really restrictive and awful. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, now I'm nourishing my body in an eating window every day. And I'm healthy. I'm at a healthy weight. And people are like, yeah, but that might not be good. I'm like, you know, I <laughs> let's just speak from the experience. And you mentioned, you know, clinical experience you've got with your with your patients, your, your clinician. I am not a clinician and I don't play one on TV. <laughs> but <laughs> in my communities, you know, when, when I was on Facebook and we had almost half a million people, 95% were women. Yeah. Yeah. And doing very, very well and responding. You know, obviously not everyone needs to follow the same intermittent fasting approach, but that's what's so important. Now, you talk a lot about how intermittent fasting helps our hormones in so many ways. I mean, that's broad. You know, we've got some hormones that all humans have, male and female. And then we've got some hormones that are, you know, like the female centric hormones. So would you would you dive into that a little bit about intermittent fasting and just hormones? Yeah. And it, it's interesting. It's broad. I, yeah, no, no. I, I'm laughing <laughs> because I was creating a slide for a talk I'm doing next oh, I week. Love it. And, you know, the, the slide on hormones, literally the first line was it's complicated yes. because there's so much, there's so much nuance. I never had as much respect for the endocrine system, mm-hmm. the system in our body that governs communication between mm-hmm. glands and, uh, you know, secretion of hormones, et cetera, until I hit perimenopause. And then I was like, okay, time out. So you know, I, I think, you know, let's back up the bus when we talk about metabolic flexibility, mm-hmm. What we're really talking about is can our body efficiently utilize different forms of fuel for our bodies? And, and unfortunately, most people in the United States aren't efficient at using fuel, which is why they their body preferentially isn't tapping into stored energy. We're storing they, it. Right. We're in the storage phase. We're yeah. like trapped in it. Yeah, right? it's like you're storing wall, you know, you're storing the acorns for winter continuously. Forever. Right. Because yeah. we're overfed. You know, they always say the word over fat, which I don't like, but overfed. So we're constantly eating, which is constantly secreting insulin. And if insulin is being secreted throughout the day, uh, we're in a a state metabolically where we're not going to use stored energy. We are just going to continue storing energy, uh, which that's a very important distinction. We want to use stored energy. We don't want to continue storing energy. So, you know, the the role of glucose and insulin, the role Mm -hmm. of... Um, growth hormone, the role of our sex hormones, the role of um, satiety hormones. Uh, you know, when you talk about people that are metabolically inflexible, we're really speaking to people that have uh, this lack of proper communication between their stomach and brain. It explains why when someone is metabolically unhealthy, they can sit down and have four or 5,000 calories in a, excuse me, in a sitting and they don't ever feel full. It is right. not, not that, satisfied. Right. They don't. It's not that they don't want to not be full. There's this hormonal dysregulation between stomach and brain. So you talk about leptin and ghrelin and you talk about, you know, when we have uh, too much, if we're overfed and we have too much adipose tissue, actually adipose tissue is its, its own endocrine organ. It's mm-hmm. so sophisticated and a lot of what's in there, it can be a lot of different components, but it can be an estrogen rich tissue. So you get women that 
are become estrogen dominant because they just have more stored energy, which is stored largely um, in this endocrine kind of rich tissue that oftentimes is full of excess estrogen. So you get imbalances between sex hormones. Mm -hmm. And yes, women also make testosterone, although not as much as men. Uh, but estrogen and progesterone, you get a lot of these imbalances. So you sometimes can see, um, you know, cycling issues. They may not get their periods every month. They may have luteal phase defects, which is when their body's not generally not producing enough progesterone. They can have too, too high testosterone, which converts to more estrogen, this aromatization. And so it becomes this domino effect of metabolic inflexibility begets appetite issues, begets satiety issues, begets sex hormone issues. It impacts your thyroid. It impacts sleep. It impacts cortisol. Um, if your body is constantly overfed, you know, it's, it's this like dopamine rush. I was just in Las Vegas and I was like, this is the city that never sleeps. And so if your body is just constantly taking in food, constantly stimulated, uh, you know, it, it creates a, a really inhospitable environment to be able to properly maintain your weight, be satisfied, be able to sleep. Uh, and that's, that's really where it kind of stems from. Obviously it's a huge oversimplification, but just wanting to touch on some of the like major hormones. We always talk about the major hormones, um, being insulin, cortisol, and oxytocin, which is the love hormone, which is the, I, I hug my dog. I love my dog, or I hug my significant other, or I hug my kids. You know, when we have babies and we're snuggling with our babies and we're sleep deprived and we're so in love because this, you know, this hormone is kind of circulating in our brains, but all of these things are interwoven to one another. And so when we're not properly balanced, when we're not metabolically flexible, uh, this very delicate system in our bodies is really thrown off in very negative ways. And unfortunately, as a nation, we are we are hurtling we're we're kind of hurtling towards disaster in my estimation. You know, when I think back to when I started in healthcare in 1997 versus now, uh, we are a much less less healthy population, and it's not getting better. A hundred percent. And I love the way you describe that whole chain of events, but stemming from mm -hmm. the metabolic inflexibility mm -hmm. and the th that really beginning the cascade of everything else. And also, you know, that it's complicated. So many, so, time, so many times we want to simplify it. Like mm -hmm. someone will come in and they're like, well, I heard I shouldn't do fasting because cortisol. Okay. And we're like, no, it's, <laughs> right. well, it's going to make me do this with my cortisol. And I'm like, maybe not. Right. Yeah, there's there's a lot of factors. Cortisol. Could you talk about that a little bit? I know cortisol is not because people are like cortisol. Oh my god! I'm like stop, stop. I know. Well, and, but but I think it's also it goes back to that fear mongering and it goes back right. to misinformation. And so I tell yeah. people cortisol is not bad. If we didn't have cortisol, right. we would die. Insulin is also not bad. Correct. P people also are like, oh, insulin is so bad. I'm like, no, it's not. No, you gotta have it. Yeah, we we need insulin. Uh, yeah. We need a balance between both. So think about it from this perspective. We have the autonomic nervous system in our bodies, and and one is fight or flight, and one is rest and pose and they're supposed to to balance each other out but what we have in our over harried overstressed existence is we are sympathetic dominant where our bodies think we're running a marathon when yep. in fact we're just dealing with day-to-day -day stress but when you don't get enough sleep when you get no natural sunlight when you don't exercise when you eat highly processed hyper palatable foods um you know when when you're not connecting with your loved ones uh, when you're existing in a state of just, you know, I call it analysis paralysis, where you're just constantly on the go or you over exercise, 
Uh, or you overfast for that matter. Right? You're, yeah. you're throwing your body into a situation where it perceives it's under stress and duress 24-7. And it cannot, your body can't differentiate between yelling at your neighbor or getting stuff in, stuck in traffic from being chased by a wild animal. Right. As sophisticated as our bodies are, it can't differentiate those things. So when we talk about cortisol, cortisol is secreted in response to stress. Yes. Um, acute cortisol secretion is not a bad thing. But if it's chronic and habitual over time, yes, it will wear out your body, kind of like you wear mm-hmm. out the tires on your car, you wear out your brakes. Love these analogies. I'm like trying to think of these good analogies for you, Jen. That's gross. Yeah, I'm a teacher. They're yeah. my favorite. Yeah. And so trying <laughs> to think about these balance. But what also happens is if your body perceives you're getting ready to run away from something dangerous, it will increase cortisol so that you can have uh, energy to move your body. So this is when cortisol and insulin get a bad rap. We need insulin. Insulin is is a very important hormone to help our bodies regulate blood sugar and to move you know blood sugar into cells and to have proper communication. But if we are constantly eating all day long, it's almost like insulin goes from yelling to whispering. It's it's like the communication pattern between intracellular communication is so uh, it becomes just muffled, and so it's like you're knocking on a door and no one can hear you. So. This is a good example of when intermittent fasting, as an example, when we're talking about cortisol and talking about insulin, if you eat less often, that knocking doesn't have to go on all day long. You know, I think the statistic that I heard most recently from Ben Azadi was that the average American consumes a sugar-sweetened beverage or food 16 to 17 times a day. Well, I'm yeah, s- I believe it. That was yeah. me back in the day yeah. when I was obese. I was obese. Yeah. I was eating constantly. Yeah. So think about it. So if, if your yeah. insulin is being secreted that many times a day... Mm-hmm. You're never actually getting to a point where your body can tap into stored energy. Never. Your body is just desperately trying to like, okay, it's like I just have to keep moving sugar, moving sugar, moving sugar. And over time, uh, you will become insulin resistant. And so, you know, when really speaking to cortisol and insulin, it's all a dual-edged sword. You know, our, our bodies are designed beautifully and designed to, to work very efficiently if we don't abuse them. And when we're eating constantly or drinking sugary beverages or fatty coffees or whatever, whatever it or is. Or even a zero calorie artificially sweetened beverage, know. you know, because that's I was drinking the Zevia soda yeah. because it had zero calories. It was all natural. And still I was, you know, telling my body with the sweet taste that that energy was about to come in and it never did. More metabolic confusion than I was starving. And I love that you differentiate about clean fasting because mm-hmm. a lot of people don't. And well, I... I've done it both ways and it made such a difference for me. And I've heard it from literally thousands of people now Mm -hmm. who talk about how it made a difference for them. And so really anyone who doesn't believe me, that's okay. I would (laughs) challenge you to try it though, you know, just Mm -hmm. try it, try it and see what happens. And I bet you'll suddenly feel, it might feel different than you thought it would. I want to circle back to, to something you said, you used the word over fasting. And I think that we, we forget that you know more is not always better and over fasting is not something we can define as like here is the part that's over fasting but that's going to be different for some you know maybe 12 hours of fasting might be over fasting for someone who ran a marathon yesterday yep and i think bioindividuality rules here i love that word yeah so you have look at 100 women in a given population roughly the same age they might all need something a little different And I think there are so many factors that come into play with what works best for you. This is where you do a little bit of Uh self-experimentation. 
And so where are you in your cycle? How much do you exercise? Has your sleep been crappy the last two weeks? Well, maybe you need to fast less. And it's interesting. I was in Las Vegas at an event this past weekend. And one of the questions I got from the audience, lovely woman, I guess when she was talking, I was guessing probably in her 20s, which in fact she was, she wanted to do a a 30 day fast. What? And she looked like she was at a healthy weight. And and so after the fact, she came up to me and we were talking and I said, well, tell me why you want to do a 30 day fast. And she's like, I just felt so good when I did a week long fast. I was like, okay. I said, do you realize that you were at your peak fertility years? You are the type of person that should not be doing really long fasts. And let me explain no, to you why. No, not even a seven-day fast. I wouldn't even pro- do no. a three-day fast. No. And so I said, no. what are your goals? What are you looking to do? I said, you can get a lot of spiritual awareness just doing a 24-hour fast. I said, first thing I always say, where are you in your cycle? How old are you? How much do you exercise? And she was already at a very healthy weight. She was happy with where she was. She just wanted to have that spiritual awareness that she had during a long fast. I said, you are exactly the person that should be not be doing these long fasts. I said, in fact, a 30 day fast needs to be medically supervised. 100%. And uh, I said, you know, and I'm speaking like as a healthcare provider, I want you to be safe. And therefore I would not recommend that. And after we had this conversation, she said, I'm so glad that you told me that because there's no information about this online. And I said, I know. And unfortunately, there's so many reasons why that's the case, but too too much of any one thing is not good. That hormetic stress piece, like we want to stress our bodies in beneficial ways. Yes, Jen and I do that probably every day, but some days I fast 14 hours and some days I can do 20. It depends on what's going on for me. And I'm very attuned to how my body feels and what it needs. But for someone that's new to fasting, and if you're young, like if you're under 35, no one should be doing crazy long fasts. I right. mean, I could argue I people older that. than 35 probably shouldn't be doing, you know, well, medically unsupervised, very long fast. You know, one of my my favorite fasting experts, I'm not going to say a name, but someone <laughs> that I love and look up to and respect greatly. There's one quote this person says that makes me want to, I cringe when I hear it. And that is that there is no upper limit on fasting. And and I, I've heard this person make that that claim. And I'm like, I really don't think we should be saying that because there absolutely is. And it's going to be different. Like you just explained, there absolutely is something called over fasting. And it is different for every person. And, you know, even even, you know, a 24 hour fast, if you did a 24 hour fast and ate in a 30 minute period, then a 23, actually, it would end up being 23 and a half every day, not 24 every day. But even that could be way, way, way too much. Well, I mean, I think a good example of this is women that want to do OMAD in perpetuity. And so I remind them there's no way you can get enough macros in every single day if you were only doing OMAD. I said, if you said to me, I have 100 pounds to lose and I'm going to alternate doing OMAD every other day, you've got plenty of stored energy. That's very different. But the average person shouldn't as a woman should not be doing that because there's no way you're going to get enough protein, fat, and, you know, healthy unprocessed carbs in your diet over time. It's like your body's just going to say, okay, I'm not going to get enough energy in. So I'm going to slow things down. Yep. And I think also that goes to the whole idea of how we define one meal a day. I have a very liberal, by, by liberal, I mean, wide ranging definition of what is one meal a day. And to me, one, one meal a day was not 23, one. But that, but it's kind of turned into that. You know, the history of me using the terminology one meal a day started in, believe it or not, 2015. 
In 2015, I was in Bert Hearing's Fast Five community and reread his book, the Fast Five book that he wrote, like maybe 2009. It had been around for a while, but he talked about the five-hour window, and, and I was rereading his book, and he said, you're only eating one meal a day. And that just stuck out to me. And I'm like, okay, so he, because before that, you know, people are like, I'm going to try to fit in two meals in five hours and that, you know, fit in as much as I can. He actually said, you're only eating one meal a day in a five-hour paradigm. And I'm like, this is why so many people are struggling, including me early on, trying to fit in two meals in five hours or as much food as I could in five hours when that wasn't the goal. So that was really one of the the reasons I, I started my first Facebook group, one meal a day intermittent fasting, support, whatever it was called. I can't remember the exact name. And we practiced one meal a day in a more relaxed paradigm, like a like a multi-course meal. So like I'm going to have an appetizer, then later I might have a soup, then later I'm going to have my actual dinner. So we were the only one meal a day group on Facebook for years. I love that. I love that. Uh, that and then approach. people start coming in. They're like, no, one meal a day is 23-1. And I'm like, well, it's however you okay, but it. no. And then they're like, you know, like mad that we don't make it be 23-1. And I'm like, I don't even think you should do 23-1 every single day. No, <laughs> no. But, but again, we go back to that rigidity. It's it's almost right? as if we're, we're a society that everything has to be compartmentalized. What's about, what yeah. about nuance? Like I always say, peel the onion, do the yeah. nuance. Like we are so nuanced. We as women yeah. are so nuanced that we're really limiting ourselves if we're that rigid. Like that's what and I would say. Like, is this a snack or is this a meal? I'm like, I don't know. Stop asking. Just yeah, eat it. Just eat it and enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. What does your body tell you want? Like last right. night, I'll give you a good example. Last night, I, I, I've i learned during the pandemic that my body does much better ending my feeding window earlier. So I'm usually, sometimes I'm eating by myself because I've got kids at two different sports and I'm in between stuff. And last night I had just had mostly all protein for dinner and I was saying to someone like, you know, in the olden days, I was like, oh, it has to be balanced. I have to have my carbs and my fat. Nope. I was like, my body just wants a metric ton of chicken. And so that's what I ate as my dinner. And it was so satisfying. So I think that, you know, it's it's important for people to have permission to not be so rigid. I love like, that. The rigidity is killing people. It is. It is. And so people hear me say that I eat, you know, in the one meal a day paradigm and they think that I'm doing 23-1 and I'm not. I might open my window at two o'clock with a, you know, a, a daily harvest bowl that's full of, you know, lentils and sweet potatoes. And and then later, you know, that later I'll have like a full dinner. Like five hours later, <laughs> I'm usually usually done by about seven or so. Um, but, you know, there was that five hour window again. And, and you know, and, and it's not the same from day to day. I'm not doing 23-1 and that's not what I recommend. No. I mean, the only time I do like a tr- like what, what you're describing is this like concept of a traditional 23-1. If it's the holiday and I have just eating a metric ton of food and I'm like, okay, we ate all that we needed in that big meal and I'm done. Like just yeah, shut, shut it all down. <laughs> like Thanksgiving day. Yeah, exactly. Right? And it's yeah, perfect yeah. for that. But I, I, I think as a sustainable option for most women, it is not. And you I, need I to think be more flexible. Correct. It's all about flexibility and nuance. And that's that's the name of the game. And it makes it challenging because I think as a society we want we want rules. We want the rules to apply to everyone. 
and we want it all to be equal. And unfortunately, each one of us as individuals, as women, we are all a little bit different than one another. And that's okay. We should celebrate the diversity and not, you know, be confounded by it. So even in the group called women, we're not all the same and what we need and how we should approach it. And that's that's what I love about your book and is that you really guide women towards finding what works for them, for their bodies, for their bio-individuality with no one-size-fits-all. And, and that's, you know, we're so used to programs that are like, here's exactly what you do and when to do it for every single person. Yeah. Well, and I think it freaks people out. Like we just started a new IF45 group with the last one of the year. And, you know, it's the first week. So everyone's kind of like, whoa, I'm not sure what I'm doing. And, you know, myself and my coaches are in the group. And I just, I think people aren't, aren't, aren't encouraged enough to experiment to do a little bit of trial and error. They're like, well, well, this person can handle half a cup of sweet potato and this person can only quarter cup and I can't tolerate any, you know, any carbs right now. And so I just said, you know, we can work with all these different variables, but what I want you to learn how to do, I mean, irrespective of who, whatever methodology they embrace, like whether you're carnivore or paleo or low carb or vegetarian um, is just to learn how to eat less processed food because that's really what we need to be doing. 100%. Because we are so largely dependent on these hyper palatable, very addicted, highly processed foods. And and that's what's killing us because our body doesn't understand that it's full and it doesn't understand what it's trying to break down. It's interesting. We're getting ready to do some holiday content around how to navigate the holidays and I was like just writing down some of the ingredients and some of the candy bars. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. So I'm down like the rabbit hole. I'm like, how does my body recognize that that's a petroleum derivative? That's where it probably gets stuck in your fat cells that you can't get yeah, rid of. And your body doesn't know what to do with it. When I was writing Cleanish, you know, I was I was learning about really like, like I knew all, you know, we know, we know ultra processed foods, not good for us. But as I was reading and what our bodies do and when we put in so many of these processed foods that are not food they're not food your body is like what is this and and it might be overwhelmed so it just stashes it in your fat cells shoves it in there like you know if you got a bunch of someone dropped off a lot of garbage at your house you might shove it in the garage and then before you know it you can't park your car in there anymore because your garage is full of junk yeah that happens in our bodies so we have to put less in and also put in the right kind of foods because that helps our bodies clean up you know, the toxins that come in. Yeah. I can't wait for you to read Clean as you haven't read it yet. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm super excited. It's, <laughs> it's next on the docket for me yeah. to read, but I'm super excited. you got a lot excited. going on, so. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm super excited because it's, it's completely, you know, completely resonates with so much of what we talk about, you know, with women. And I, I think women look at, they're like, fat is just an undesirable outcome. And I'm like, well, your body is so sophisticated that what it's doing is trying to protect you. I mean, it, it's hard to accept that, but- uh, in many know. ways, you know, adipose tissue being this, you know, highly vascular protective mechanism, right? Highly sophisticated organ system in the body, whether we like that or not. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move, or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. 
Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Yeah. <laughs> so IF45, you just kind of dropped that in there. What What is IF45? So this is my signature 45-day program where I kind of walk women through the basics about intermittent fasting, how to do it safely, um, different types of fast, the kinds of foods to eat, to be attuned to the lifestyle piece. Like I always say, lifestyle medicine comes above and beyond everything else, sleep, stress, nutrition, et cetera. And we don't talk enough uh, about this with our patients. And so it's a 45 day program that is part of the book, but it's something that I created in response to working with thousands of women that really kind of shines the light on the things that we need to focus the most on the things that are really important. And, you know, we touched on like hormetic stressors, but making sure our body gets a little bit of micro stress every day, we've, we've gotten far too comfortable. You know, we have, uh, accessibility to everything 24 seven. It's not like when you and I were growing up, Jen, when you know, the TV <laughs> shut off at midnight and then it was like the American they anthem. Like the, they would play. Yeah. There, the flag would be yeah. on there and you're like, well, that's the end of that. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, it's time to go to bed because there's nothing right. else on. Yeah. Um, it's not like that anymore. So I, I think in many ways it kind of, IF45 is really designed to allow women to succeed with fasting, to feel supported, to have the resources they need And it really came very organically out of um, that talk when I realized I was like, oh, my gosh, we need to have something more substantive to be able to support women's needs. It just gives them that, you know, like like in um, in my book, Fast Feast Repeat, we have the 28 day fast start. It's setting that habit. I love that you're doing it for 45 um, because, you know, 28 is like a middle of the road kind of a thing. And it's some people need more than 28. Some people adjust quickly, you know, if they're really healthy. But 45 really gives them that time to settle in. Yeah. And I think the other thing is we know, and you know, as a teacher that it takes people three to four weeks to create new habits and it may take longer for people to become fat adapted where they're actually able to tap into the stored energy so that they can get through the fast and not feel like they're running a marathon every single day. And so, you know, on many levels, I created it to be a little bit longer. You know, we did a lot of experimentation at first where it was IF60 and that was too long. And then IF45 was, which just seemed like it was the right amount of time for people to feel like they had made enough wins to feel like, okay, now I can do this. It's like, take the training wheels off and I'm ready to go. I love it. I want to switch gears a little bit. There's a story that um, really resonated with me when I was reading your book and it's from your introduction. I think it was about your son and how he had eczema and you, um, you figured out that it was his gut health 
and he needed to eat real food. And you'll see in the introduction of Cleanish, there is a very similar story about my son who had it was it manifested itself with behavioral issues. He was getting kicked out of daycares and other schools and whatever and like like a crazy person. And we we changed his diet and it changed him completely. And, and it was amazing. You know, I talk about in Cleanish the, the bucket effect. You know, like once we get to a point where our bodies can't take anymore, it spills over. For your son, it was eczema. For mine, it was, you know, more neuro- neurological, you know, because our gut controls our feelings in, in so many ways. And, you know, we know this. We know it's like, you know, the second brain. So um, talk about how, how that really changed you. It, it, just like it did me, even though I ignored it for so many years and continued to eat junky foods myself, I'm like, oh, but he needs it, not me. I mean, isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, you know, it, I think it, it's 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 all a process. It's all a journey. And so, you know, Jack is my oldest, and you know, super healthy, breastfed kiddo. And I thought I was doing all the things right. And at four months of age, he started developing like horrific eczema. I mean, he had it on his cheeks, he had it on, you know, his, his arms, he had it on his legs and, you know, I bring the pediatrician and here I am an allopathic trained nurse practitioner, put steroid cream on it. And, you know, I did that for a little while and it wasn't getting a whole lot better. Like anytime we would stop the steroid cream, it would come back and it would be worse. And so I started to make the connection. I said, is it something I'm eating? Because I, I ate pretty clean, but I said, is it something I'm doing wrong? And, and Peter, no, 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 that can't be it. Nope. And so when he got to be a year old, I said, time out. This cannot persist. This is because ridic- he was clearly it was itchy right. and then he would scratch it. And so bring him to the allergist. And I said, to the allergist, oh, I think he probably has a sensitivity to berries because sometimes he gets a diaper rash, he eats <sighs> berries. Well, it turns out he had life threatening food allergies. He was allergic to peanuts and all tree nuts. To the point to which the allergist said to me, and I will never forget this, carry an EpiPen and pray. And I remember thinking, this is not going to work because I felt like I was going to end up feeling like he lived in a bubble. And I was like, he needs to be able to go to birthday parties and go to restaurants and not not me be paranoid because I had taken care of such sick people that had anaphylactic reactions to foods. And so Jack having food allergies got me down the rabbit hole of making the connections between gut health and food allergies and skin manifestations. And, you know, I later read Robin O'Brien's book, The Unhealthy Truth, and that changed everything. Like I always say, like that book just made me mad. (laughs) Every (laughs) chapter I read, it just made me more mad. Just the realization that we don't talk enough about, um, you know, the gut brain connection. We don't talk enough how food influences these things. And I think it took a long time, even with an elimination diet, to kind of reroute things for him. And obviously now he's six feet tall. He plays, you know, football in high school. He's a, you know, he's a, a straight A student. He's super smart. He's a great kid. But I always tell him, like, you were my greatest teacher. You were the one that forced me to, you know, look beyond conventional perspectives on the role of inflammation, the role of skin issues, the role of you know, what's being done in the food industry, being sprayed with pesticides and how that impacts the health of our gut microbiome. And I said, so I, I always say like, I never would want to wanted to have my child suffer in any way or capacity, but that is what kind of got me looking at things a different way. Um, and I always say, you know, we want to be lifelong learners. I think that's really important. And if I were still stuck in that, that traditional mindset, I would not have been open to what all these other things, all these other gifts have been have been brought to me to be able to share with others. So now is he does he still have the food allergies or healing his gut healed his 
allergies as well? Well, you know, only 30% of kids that are diagnosed with food allergies um, recover from them. So he is unfortunately part of the 70% that will probably have lifelong peanut and tree nut allergies. However, he's very conscientious and asks a lot of good questions. He's very kind of cautious. Unless it's something made in my house, um, he'll ask. He wants to always know what are in the ingredients. But if, if I had to wish food allergies on either of my children, I'm glad that my older child has it because he's a little oh, bit I more responsible than my younger devil may care second born. Oh, yeah. So is it like left brain, right brain? That's what my boys are. The yeah. older one is left brain. One the is younger. One is right brain creative. One is a little more of a thrill seeker, a little yeah. less likely to listen to authority. Uh, that's your younger one. Yes. So I, I always say, like, thank goodness it's my older son. If I had to pick a child with a food allergy, I'm glad it's him because he's he's very kind of like organized. Method- yeah, very left brained. Yep. Good. Well, good. I get it. So tell people we're, we're not we're not quite done. But before we, we get to the point, I want people to know how to connect with you. How do they find you? How do they pre-order your book that is really coming out like very soon? Yeah, it's so exciting. So probably best place to start is my website. So www.cynthiatherlow.com. You can also catch me on, uh, I have a private Facebook group that's Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle backslash my name. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter where you might see a little snarky side. I'm on YouTube. (laughs) And yes, you can pre-order the book on Amazon, Target, Barnes and Noble, and other local bookstores. So yeah, super excited. Yep. So the name of the book is Intermittent Fasting Transformation. And everywhere books are sold, look for that. So we are coming towards the end of our time together. But what would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting? Or what do you wish you knew when you first started? Well, I think I can answer both those questions kind of at the same time. I I think that like any lifestyle change that you're making, giving yourself grace, being patient, recognizing that you may have good days, bad days, just remaining attuned to the things that are really most important as it pertains to fasting. What's your sleep quality like? What's your energy like? Are you having food cravings? Are you able to power through a a workout? Are all really important. So just kind of remaining attuned to the things you need to kind of focus in on will help you be very successful. And yeah, the other piece is if you are still getting your menstrual cycle every month, knowing that there are certain times in the month when you should fast and times that you shouldn't. So just being attuned to the fact that menopausal women don't have to worry about this quite as much. But if you're still getting a menstrual cycle every month, you definitely have times that you don't want to be fasting. So pay attention to your body. And you explain that more in in your book as far as that goes. Well, Cynthia, I have so enjoyed talking to you today. And um, congratulations on really everything. Thank you. Thank you. Looking forward to seeing you next month. Awesome. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on.
Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.